The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. So the title of today's sermon is The Faithfulness of God. Uh, in last week's sermon, we see uh, Jacob uh, running, running for his life uh, from his brother uh, and running away from his family for all the uh, mischief that he caused there. And he's going in search of a wife uh, in his mother's family uh, far, the, far away. Uh, even in the middle of Jacob's messy life, we see God coming and meeting with him in a dream. There God promises uh, that he's going to keep him safe wherever he goes and also bless him as he had promised his father uh, Isaac and uh, his father Abraham uh, to provide him offspring, and through that offspring was going to be a uh, great joy to all the world. I want to encourage you today uh, that even in uh, the life that your mess may be right now, uh, God is willing to meet with you, just as he is willing to meet with Jacob. There's nothing that you've done that is not too much for God. You see, God's faithfulness was not dependent on Jacob's integrity of what he did, it was dependent on the promises that he had made to Abraham and Isaac, uh, and it was on his character that he was going to make good on them. In our sermon today, we're going to see three areas that God is faithful to us. First of all, God is faithful to commitments, God is faithful to correct, and God is faithful to comfort. So we made it nice and easy. We've got three C's, simplified everything for those note-takers out there. Um, these three point, or the, yeah, these three points uh, come together to our main point, and that is that even what God is faithful, even when we are not. We're going to see this truth play out through the story uh, that unfolds here before us today. The first truth that we're going to see is God is faithful to His commitments. I'm going to read for us uh, verses one through fourteen here in Genesis 29, and then I'm going to pray for us. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel 
that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, uh, for this opportunity to get a glimpse into Jacob's life, Lord. And I just pray that as we see through the trials that he goes through, that we will uh, learn from his mistakes um, and just speak to us uh, through this message, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we, chapter 29 picks up uh, with Jacob's story, with him leaving the mountaintop experience that he had with God, uh, with the ladder, and uh, going to set out on his journey to find the house of Laban and to marry a daughter of, of Laban. Uh, this is about a four to 500 mile trip, so it was not a, a short trip. Uh, he didn't have a car, he was traveling on a camel. So it was probably at least around a two week trip for him. Um, well, he comes upon this well uh, in the middle of a field and there's some flocks gathered uh, there. Uh, he's not really sure where he's at, so he asks them, you know, do they know uh, Laban? And, uh, and sure enough, they not only are from the same town, they know Laban. And it goes a step further, Rachel, is, uh, Laban's daughter, is on, his way, is on her way to the well. Now this is clearly God orchestrating uh, this event that happened here. Too many, too many coincidences going on here. Uh, well, before we move on with this text, um, I want to hear from you, because uh, God works this way uh, today as well, not just back then. Um, so would anybody uh, like to share briefly maybe a time where God has orchestrated something in, in your life um, that made you say, wow, you know, th this is clearly God. Floor's open if anybody would like to. That's okay. You guys weren't prepared. I was prepared. So, uh, um, I know I've told this story before, but, um, and I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but um, about six years ago, God had called us here to Manchester, and, and through that process, um, within a year, God had given me a job um, up here. Um, we were able to get a house that we really weren't saving for. Uh, he provided a place for us to stay in the middle between the time we moved up here and the time we were able to move into the house. Um, so just clearly God was orchestrating everything uh, in that process. Uh, and I'm sure there's stories out there as well, um, you guys, and you might not be, feel comfortable saying them either, and that's okay. Um, so back, back to our Genesis story. Um, there's, there's a lot of words here in this text uh, about the well and stuff. Um, so basically what's going on here is they have the stone over the well to help keep the dust out of it because we're in a desert area. Um, so they waited till all the sheep got there before they moved it away, and then they were going to wait to move it back you know, once everybody was done. But they didn't want more dust getting in the water. 
And Jacob wanted to have this time with Rachel coming. So he's like, hey, guys, why don't you uh, water your sheep here and move along? But they're like, no, no, we have to wait until everybody's here to move the stone away. So that's what's going on here. Uh, A lot of words, but... So uh, anyway, his attempt to hurry the other shepherds away fails. Uh, But Rachel comes while they're talking, and uh, they kind of catch up a little bit. Uh, They have a good family reunion, and then they move on uh, to Laban's house um, and uh, continue on with that family reunion. So here we see... um, part of God's faithfulness in this story, and that was bringing uh, Jacob safely to where he was going, to Laban's house. We're going to see later in the passage as well that God is faithful uh, in providing Jacob with four sons. Um, This is the start of the fulfillment that God had promised to make him an offspring, to have a multitude of, of family. So God's faithfulness to keep his promises Uh, is evident here, and it's a common theme that we see in the Bible. Over and over again, we see examples of God's faithfulness and making good on the promises and commitments that he makes. Uh, The effect of this repetition is twofold. First of all, it provides us evidence that God is faithful to keep his commitments. If we only had a few examples of that, we wouldn't necessarily believe that God is is faithful. Uh, Even... Even I make good on promises on occasion. So uh, just the fact that there's so many evidences and stories of God's faithfulness um, helps. Uh, Secondly, often the difficulties of our life cause us to to forget God's faithfulness and lose sight of him. So we need reminded repeatedly of this truth. So before moving on uh, to the next point, I'm going to look at one more passage uh, that speaks of this truth, and that's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read that for us here. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ. So this this is uh, Timothy speaking. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. So even though Timothy was in jail for his faith, he has not given up on God's faithfulness. I encourage you to meditate on these statements that we see here. Um, I found it to be very encouraging for myself. uh, And I encourage you to do that uh, sometime throughout throughout this week. The next thing we're going to see in this passage is God is faithful to correct us. We see that in verses 15 uh, through 31. I'm going to read that for us. Then Laban said to Jacob, 
Because you are my kinsmen, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for her, or for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female, so this is an aside here, Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. Um, we'll see more about her in the next chapter. And in the, night, in, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week with this one. That's the, the wedding uh, feast was a week long. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Another side here. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. So this section, uh, things continued to be going well for Jacob. Uh, once he arrives, he starts uh, working, uh, doing chores around Laban's house for a month. And then Laban's like, hey, you know, why don't we pay you to do this? Now, Jacob had come to marry one of Laban's daughters, and he didn't leave home with a lot of money, so he decided that he would work uh, for the dowry and the right to marry Rachel. Now, Laban had two daughters, Leah, the older one, and Rachel, the younger. For Jacob, it was a no-brainer. Uh, who he wanted to marry. He had loved Rachel when first he saw her. Rachel was beautiful, whereas we see that uh, Leah had some eye issues. Uh, we don't really know what exactly they were, but uh, in that culture, one of the things that were attractive uh, for women were bright, shiny eyes, which uh, she did not have. So she was um, not, not a uh, very eligible bachelorette, I guess. So Jacob offers to work uh, seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. Now this was a, a very generous dowry. It's a, a long time um, to do this and a lot of money. Um, and we don't really know why, but most likely he wasn't in any hurry to get back to uh, his brother who wanted to kill him. So he had plenty of time to kill. So he worked seven years, and they seem to just fly by for Jacob. Uh, he has uh, the, the reward... Uh, of Rachel's marriage, uh, you know, in his sights. So finally the wedding day comes. Uh, he's ready to marry the woman of his dreams. 
Uh, but that's where the story takes a turn for Jacob. So Jacob had kind of been riding on this high since the uh, time he met with God that we saw last week. But the actions that he did to Esau are about to come to call for him. So Laban, uh, sorry, Laban throws a big wedding feast, and at night he brings Leah to Jacob's tent instead of Rachel. And Jacob doesn't realize this till the next morning. <clears throat> now, and I'm sure you guys are thinking, how did Jacob not know this? Well, I'll throw a few things out there. It says it was evening, so potentially it was dark outside. And they did have a wedding feast, so I'm sure he probably um, had some to drink, you know, some alcohol to drink. So um, those are at least a few plausible reasons, but overall, I'm not going to make any excuses for him. Uh, I mean, that was his fault. This deception that Laban did to Jacob is actually the same thing that he did uh, when he pretends to be his brother, and deceives his father to receive this blessing. It seems quite clear here that God is trying to teach Jacob a lesson. And that God still loves him. He's still with him as he promised. He's just trying to provide correction for Jacob with the goal of him to be more like God. This is true of how God works in our lives today. However, sometimes it's easy to dismiss or downplay uh, correction, just because uh, we live in grace. Uh, through grace, we are declared righteous, meaning that we have right standing before God. And we are also sanctified, meaning declared holy. So at first glance, these uh, truths seem to give evidence that we wouldn't need to receive correction uh, from God, nor would we. However, this is not the case. In Hebrews chapter 12, God makes it clear that we will still receive correction and why we need it. It says, And you have forgotten that, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not a son. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we see God corrects us because he loves us, and just like he loved Jacob. When God declared us to be holy and in right standing uh, with him, these are just positional changes. Uh, we, are, we are still sinful. We still fall short of the holiness that we are called for. That's why God corrects us. 
so we can become more like him in our practice. For Jacob, when he discovered when La- what Laban had done, it was painful. But we'll see later that eventually uh, this will lead to restitution um, with his brother and ultimately peace. Now, while you may say Jacob had this coming, he did not see it that way. He still wanted to marry Rachel. So he has a conversation with Laban, and they make a deal that he will serve seven more years uh, for the right to marry Rachel. Now at the time, as far as we are aware, there was no law against Jacob doing this, uh, marrying two people or nonetheless sisters. Eventually, though, God will uh, declare this wrong in the Mosaic law. But at this time, the, the law had not been written yet. Now, while there's no law prohibiting this, it doesn't mean that it was okay with God to do this. Just like there was no law that you couldn't kill anyone, uh, but that didn't give Cain the right to kill his brother, Abel. Uh, there were some guiding principles there that God set out at the beginning. That man was made in his own image. And that there's value in a person's life. Um, regarding marrying two women, I feel that Genesis 3 also puts some guidelines here. Um, where it says about the two becoming one. Uh, that doesn't really leave room for the three becoming one. It's not, not quite the same thing. Well, that's my thought anyway. However, there's no law against this, so Jacob goes ahead and does it. Now, had Jacob taken some time to think through this, uh, how it would be to marry two sisters, uh, I feel he probably would have chosen differently. Uh, I'm pretty sure all of you who has a brother or a sister out, out there, that uh, you would see that this would be a very bad idea. But Jacob wanted what he wanted, so he went ahead and did it. All the afflictions that Jacob suffers, though, that we're going to see in the next chapters, give evidence that God disapproves of this double marriage. I want to make a couple notes uh, before we move on to the next point. The first one is the fact that even though God used Laban's deception to teach Jacob a lesson, Laban was still responsible for his actions. Uh, We'll see later that the result of this deception and future actions that he does um, causes Jacob uh, to leave with his, his two daughters and his grandchildren with him. And then an agreement is made, actually, and he's not able to see his family again. And this is a very uh, sad situation here that uh, Laban's deception led to. Uh, the second note I want to make is that, according to the text, there's no reference to Leah Uh, being involved in this deception. We don't see anywhere uh, where that happens, so we don't know exactly how that conversation went uh, with Leah and Rachel, but somehow Laban puts it out there and seems to be acting on his own here. So that brings us to our our final point today, and that God is faithful to comfort. We're going to see that in verses 31 through 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, 
but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will be attracted to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So we see here in these verses that we switch gears in our story. Uh, Up to this point, Jacob and Laban have been leading the conversation. In fact, um, neither of the women, Rachel nor Leah, had actually said anything, um, at least in the text here that we see. But this section focuses on Leah. Uh, Before we get into the text, I just want to kind of walk through Leah's life uh, leading up to these verses that we just read. Just help really connect uh, with her. So seven years ago, Jacob comes into town and falls in love with his sister. And he starts working for the right to marry her. Now we learn from Laban that in their culture, the oldest is supposed to be married off first. Now Jacob didn't know that, but Leah would have. This does not appear what's going to happen. And most likely due to her eye problem, um, the fact that she wasn't attractive, She's probably not going to find another suitor. So there was definitely a lot of pain and shame already in Leah's life. Um, And then suddenly, in a fast change of events, she gets married to Jacob, uh, the one that loved her sister, not her. However, Jacob decides he's going to marry Rachel also. And this happens just a week later. Finally, in verse 30, we see an editorial statement that Jacob loved Rachel more. Kind of already knew that. Uh, but this is followed by an escalated editorial comment by God in verse 31. And it says that Leah was hated. So as you see, that Leah, as you can see, Leah has and is suffering great emotional trauma. She is hated by her husband and probably her sister too. She is trapped and alone. Perhaps you find yourself feeling trapped or alone, like Leah. Uh, Maybe it's addiction that led you here, or a bad relationship. Maybe you've been abused by a family member. Or like Leah, maybe it was just a series of events, of unfortunate events, that has taken you to a place of hopelessness and solitude. However, whatever has brought you here, God wants to speak to you through the story. You see, you're not alone. God is there in your darkest hour if you turn to hear him. He hears the cries of your heart and feels the pain that you are suffering. He loves you even if at this moment you feel unlovable. God sees the suffering that Leah is going through and has compassion on her. He pours on her the blessings of children. Not only children, but sons. In the patriarchal system of the, of the time, sons that could carry on the family name was a big deal. So she not only gives 
the firstborn son, which is a big deal as well, but three more sons after that. In this verse, we're going to see Leah's journey with God through this emotionally stressful time in a very unique way. We're going to see that through the names of her children. The first child that is born to Leah, she names Reuben. Reuben simply means, see, a son. She hopes that since she gave Jacob a son, he would see her and love her. However, this is not the case, as we see in the next child's name. However, even though Jacob doesn't seem to see her, we see that God has seen her pain and blessed her. He then blesses her with another son. She names this one Simeon. Simeon means hearing. God had heard that she was hated, so she blessed her with a, so he blessed her with another son. God not only saw her affliction, but he also heard. God cares about us so much that he pays complete attention to what's going on in our lives. Proverbs 15:3 says, "The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good." Isaiah 65:24 says, "Before before they call, I will answer." While they are yet speaking, I will hear. My prayer is that you take comfort today knowing that you are seen and heard by the God that has created and loved you. Now this brings us to a third son. His name was Levi. Levi means attachment. So after having three sons, Leah hopes now that Jacob would be attached to her. But unfortunately, this is still not the case. Finally, she has a a fourth son. This fourth son, she names Judah, which means praise. Now, while Judah is translated in the simple word praise, there is more to that name than just that. Hebrew has more than just single single word definition. So uh, I'm not an expert in Hebrew, so I'm going to rely on some commentators uh, I'm not even going to pronounce their name. Keel, well, well, Keel and Delish, whatever. But um, I said that the name of Judah is not just merely the praised one, but it's the one for whom Jehovah is praised. So this is the change in the naming that Leah makes here. The first three names, while they acknowledge God, expressed her pain and desire for her husband's love. With Judah, she is just focusing on praising God. She declares, this time I will praise the Lord. It seems to me that she has shifted her focus from being loved by Jacob and focusing on his love to focusing on the love that God has given her through this situation. She has shifted her focus from an inward focus to an upward focus. It took Leah a while to get to this point that she could just praise God for her sons. The first three children were essentially just band-aids for emotional bullet wounds. They didn't solve the problem. They just gave her some consolation through it. Notice also that the fourth child did not change her circumstances. You'll see this further on, that Jacob did not love her anymore. What did change was her perspective. You see, God is faithful to be with us in our suffering and comfort us. But he's also faithful to bring us through the suffering 
to a point of healing. Sometimes he may do this by causing our suffering to cease, by coming, bringing about events to cause that. But more often than that, it's not focusing, more often than not, it is focusing on a relationship with him and not our temporary afflictions that bring about healing. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God will be with us through our suffering, and whether it's on earth or in heaven, it will come to an end. In closing, I want to offer you one more example of God's faithfulness, faithfulness in the birth of Judah. Judah becomes one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and out of that tribe, Jesus is born. So even through the deception of Jacob and Laban, the mess of the relationship with Rachel and Leah, God is still working out his plan. God is faithful in the mess of our lives. He's faithful to keep his commitments to us, to correct us when needed, and to comfort us in our suffering. And he will be faithful to bring us into his presence one day in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, uh, for your goodness to us, for your faithfulness. Just thank you that you're a God who cares about us, our situations. I thank you that we can um, lean on you for support uh, through our lives, Lord. Which these things in thy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.